The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. This is episode number 158, and we are into our fourth year. Super excited about that. I want to thank you for listening. I want to remind you to please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and also check us out on YouTube. Today's episode will be up as a video on YouTube. Sometimes our guests don't want to do video, so we just put up an audio recording on YouTube. But our guest today does want to do a video, so this one will go up on YouTube. Now, our guest today is Mike Diamond, and he is a former reality TV show, motivational speaker, author, and celebrity interventionist. Audiences already know Mike from starring on the hit Inked TV series, New York Inked, Miami Inked, and Bondi Inked. But over the last decade, Diamond made a name for himself as a life coach and interventionist, coaching hundreds of young men and women, as well as celebrity talent on their road to addiction recovery. He has become the go-to expert on the addiction crisis in America. Being 13 plus years sober himself, Mike shares his knowledge in his new book, Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset. He speaks in schools around the nation and keynotes national health conferences. In addition, he is currently in development on a TV show with a major network soon to be announced, showcasing his work helping addicted youth find recovery. Without further ado, let's talk to Mike Diamond. So, Michael, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I appreciate you telling your story and, you know, being willing to share it. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. So you want to know where it all be? <laughs> well, yeah. Like, well, how did you get, what was your background like and, and how did you get started on drugs? So I was born in Perth, Western Australia, which geographically is the most isolated capital city in the world. And back before there was an internet and any of these great things, I was in this small town. Um, my parents did the best they could. They weren't that. I didn't get any love or affection, unfortunately. Dad worked hard, just unloaded on me, um, beat the hell out of me all the time. Mum beat the crap out of me all the time. And what was really interesting was coming from, I'm, I was undiagnosed dyslexic. I didn't, you know, I had learning issues, but I was a super athlete, really good athlete. So um, growing up, no one really pulled me aside for my learning issues. They just thought, oh, he doesn't pay attention, but he's really good at sports, so he'll figure it out. When my brother was seven, he got diagnosed with um, a thing called measles encephalitis. So he went, in, went into a coma, and that's when everything fell apart because that's when my dad, working 12, 16 hours a day, my mum really, they didn't really have the ability to have four kids, and I was number two. And my sister was 12 weeks premature. So my, I was, my dad would just come home and just hammer me. And so I didn't, um, at 12, uh, my dad owned liquor stores. And there was he never drank, but there was always liquor there. So I just started. I just started to, you know, drink. And, you know, by the time I was 15, it was anything. Pot, drinking, got thrown out of school. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of cut to me for a second. 
you're, you've, you must be very understanding of your parents because you started this off by saying, my parents did the best that they could. And I just, I, I like that sort of viewpoint. Do you know, I mean, even though you're telling me that, you know, your dad would wail on you and sometimes your mom would wail on you, it sounds to me like you have at some point gotten, what's the word? Like you've, you've gotten an understanding on that. Am I, am I right when I say that? hundred percent. I think the best thing I learned um, was when I got sober, because uh, I struggled with drugs and alcohol for years and, you know, learning disabilities. As soon as I could forgive people, I was healed. Do you know what I mean? Like as soon yes. as I could get rid of the resentments and and I could stop playing that for me. And what really, really, really changed my life was uh, a book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. Okay. And I'm like, here's a guy that basically lived in through three concentration camps. His dad died. His mum died. His wife died with their newborn. And he somehow didn't have resentments. And I was like, well... <sighs> I guess the what changed me is getting references. And what I mean by that is if I'm making, if I'm stuck in that really disempowering thinking, which is going to make me sick, and I can shift my perception and get a different reference, like someone that may has gone, has gone through something worse than me, and figure out how they've done it, and then go, well, what would they do? So... You know what I'm saying? It's very powerful, yes. I feel, to get out of the, instead of saying, why me, victim, how can I grow from this? Right, right. And I think I think the other point, and, and I've brought this up before, sometimes in our podcast episodes, that, you know, okay, here here's my, do you like Michael or Mike? Oh, Mike's good, but whatever you say, Mike. Okay. <laughs> well, so here's Mike, young kid, um, you know, being basically physically abused as a child. And, you know, if, if your life, those of you who are listening, if your childhood was not that bad, guess what? You can get over it. Whatever you had to put up with, you can get over it. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of like what you did when you read the book and you're like, wow, here's a guy who came through, through the concentration camps. My life is not that bad. So I can, I can overcome what I have to overcome. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It, what, you know what it taught me? It's really interesting. So someone said to me the other day, you don't need a lot. And I'm like, well, I was never given a lot. So it, I don't really, it, I'm not, I was never overloved. I've never once did my parent. Usually you get a parent. Like I had my grandmother, but it, she lived on the, uh, we were in Perth. She lived in Sydney. She okay. was really loving to me but I never got it from people around me. I never got any, any encouragement. No one ever said you'd do anything with your life. No one ever said you'd be successful. All I was told was you're dumb, you'll fail, you'll never do anything, you're bad at school, and you got thrown out of school. And then at 16, there was a point, it was a really incredible thing. Um, I, I was thrown out of one school, went to another school, 
disowned by all the kids, bullied, beaten down. So it was always in my sympathetic nervous system because at school I had a massive amount of fear from getting jumped and bullied. And then at home I got a beating from my dad and my parents. So it, it just, I didn't have any rest and digest. I was always wound up and angry. So obviously you mood alter, you try to get out of yourself. And then a part of me was like, do I just kill myself? Like, do I not just take my own life? You know what I mean? Like this sucks. Yep. Yep. And there, I had a neighbor and she saw me really struggling and she said this great thing. It just changed my life forever. She said, look, I know it feels right now that this is not going to end, but she said, I guarantee you this in 10 years from now, if you make empowering choices right this second, right, it'll change your life. She goes, these people will not matter in 10 years from now. This is just a moment in your life. And just that seed, she planted that seed. And then I thought, she's right. What does it matter? Yep. And I just lived with that hope. Because I always say to people, right, like right now we're going through the storm. We're going through the famine. Right. And I said, it's really easy to have faith in the feast. But who has faith in the phantom? Fathom. Phantom. So who has Fathom, faith? Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Who has yeah. faith when you, you've got to, you're down to your primal needs? That's right. Do you know what I mean? And yes. can you be spiritual when you're really, really like Abraham Maslow says it beautifully to become self actualized? You know what I mean? You look at the hierarchy of needs. Right. Okay. So right now, we, we've got to isolate. And I watch people all day. They're like, have you seen the Tiger King? I go, no, I'm not going to watch a Tiger documentary. I'm reading, meditating twice a day, calling people that need help, doing service work. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like, I'm not going to yes. go binge watch seven hours of Netflix right now. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to read seven hours of spiritual content to get closer to my source. Right. No, I can't. I can't do it either. I'm, I've been making some masks to send to new york because i can't there's only so much you know that i can sit there and just do nothing i can't i can't, I can't do, do nothing. it exactly yeah. i've been sorry go on yeah no i was just gonna say i was just gonna um i was gonna take you back because we you were starting to tell me about your drug history and then i kind of yeah. took you sorry. out of that sorry it's okay you were you were 16 and yeah. you're alcohol and drugs right correct yes Loads, loads. I never stopped. I'm a true addict, and I'll tell you why. Um, and a lot of people say when you do cocaine or you have – first time I snorted cocaine, I'm like, I, I need an eight ball. This is incredible. First time I drank, I need to get drunk. And you know what's really interesting? So my grandmother, when I was four years old, got me so drunk and poor. Um, I got <laughs> alcohol poisoning and nearly died. It's incredible. Oh my gosh. My parents, this is, this is how messed up the dysfunctional family is. My parents literally said, I'm four, well, Michael was stealing the alcohol off him. And my siblings, I was like, first of all, I was four. So when I went back to Australia to see my family, my nephew's four. And I said, do you mind if mum and dad, about the same age as my grandmother, get him drunk? And they're like, that's insane. And I'm like, hold on but why was it okay for my grandmother to get me drunk when I was four? And the interesting thing about that, both my grandfathers died of alcoholism. Um, my family's in denial about, you know, drugs, alcohol, they don't understand it. 
I, at four, drank like an alcoholic. I couldn't stop drinking. Wow. Which I found very interesting that I could, for like another kid may have tasted it, felt, you know, the mood altering and gone, no. I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. I want more of this. So it was, I've done everything wow. uh, from, you know, heroin. I've never shot anything. I was never one of those. I'd snort it. I'd smoke crack, uh, you know, done every kind of pill you can think of, done mushrooms. I've done it all. I've done it all. I did it all to a level of massive, massive access. Wow. When you were in school, Mike, yep. what what was your interest? What was your passion when you were in school besides getting high? I loved, well, it was really interesting. So obviously I got a release from performance, uh, whether it was athletic performance or singing or acting. And oh, so you it, were singing and acting. I yeah, like that. I was a really cool. good singer and actor. And um, that's what got me actually through things. I was singing in bands. And I ended up going to acting school uh, in Sydney after I moved from Perth. And that was really where I found a lot of release because I could play characters and I enjoyed it and I enjoyed performing. So it wasn't, um, yeah, I was always passionate. That's what got me to America. I I was like, I'm going to go to America. I'm going to pursue music and and other things like that. So it gave me a drive. And I could always see, sorry, go no, I was just going to say, but you were able to function, uh, you know, and do your acting yeah, and do your yeah. performing while yeah, doing drugs. Okay. Bad. Very okay. bad. I had a very, um, my rock bottom was not physical, it was spiritual. And tell us about your rock bottom, because that's why, that's kind of why we, yeah. that's kind of the premise behind this podcast is when we say point of no return, it's like, what's, what was the point where you said, I either get better or I basically die? Well, I knew, um, I, I, I had this philosophy, which was pretty messed up, work hard, play hard. So I got sober at 20 and then would go in and out using And I didn't think I had a problem because I could get up in the morning like nothing had happened. Moved to America at 23, was sober. Uh, Then I would go in and out, get a year, you know, use, get a year, use. And then I went on a really heavy run from September 11, which 2001, to when I got sober 2006, which will be next month, 14 years. And I owned a bar with... um, Scott Weiland, the late great Scott Weiland from Stone Temple Pilots and Velvet Revolver. Okay. And, and we were, um, you know, we were in the belly of the beast, so to speak. <laughs> you have and, a bar. Uh, oh, yeah, with the, <laughs> with the biggest rock star in the world. <laughs> um, and it was, it, where it was interesting was it, on a superficial level, money, sex, drugs, rock bar, I helped create the show Miami Inc., you know, I'm shooting a VH1 show, like on the outside. Oh my God, this guy's got it all made. And one night I was with Scott and we were, his wife was pretty much leaving him in a relationship. She was done. She was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And I mean, his business is his business, but I could just, I looked, I took a moment, just one moment and I slowed down and I looked at his life and I looked at where I come from, which was Perth right? Small town, right? And, you know, I came to America with nothing. And here I am with the biggest rock stars in the world. I own a bar. I'm the guy. And I was miserable. Mm. It was all a front. It was all a front. 
it was all bullshit. You know, it wasn't real. I was, wasn't being authentic. So I looked at Scott and I smiled at him and I was like, I'm done. You see what I mean? I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Now, I literally called a friend of mine. I had a bunch of friends that were like 14 years sober. No one told me to get sober. No one said, you got it. You're going to die. Everyone I was around worked hard, played hard. Some of them didn't make it out. I mean, unfortunately, Scott died, you know, a few years back. And because I made so much money for people and I was making so much money and we all did it, everyone co-signed each other's crap. Like, it's okay. This is what we do. Right. And I walked into a meeting the next day. I called a friend of mine that was 14 years sober and I said, I've got to flip this around. And he said, he was really hardcore. He's like, I'm going to give you the meetings to go to. I don't believe you'll get sober. If you want to do it, they're the meetings, go to the meetings, take commitments and don't talk to me until you at least get 90 days. I'm like, okay. He said, don't check in with me with crap. I know you, you like to talk quick. you like, you know, I've known you for years. I respect you, but if you're going to respect this and I listened and a great defining moment with me was I called a friend of mine that was sober a long time. And I was in the bar business and restaurant business. That's what I did for years. And everyone said, no, 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 get out, get out, get out, get out. And I called him and I said, look, everyone says I'm going to relapse if I stay in the bar business. What do I do? And he just said to me very simply, do you want to drink and do cocaine? I said, absolutely not. He said, that's what you do. Open up bars and restaurants, you know, just go and open them up and save enough money to get out, but go and do it. And I said, yeah, but everyone, he said, look, everyone's opinion is not your sobriety. If you really want this, whether you're a tennis coach or you're a teacher, go and do it. Go and get sober. Stop making excuses. Right. And he was right. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I don't want to do this anymore. And I opened bars and restaurants still until I saved the money to get out and coach and do interventions full time. And I just got sober. I went to three meetings a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I sponsored wow. a lot of people. I, I just committed. The great thing, this is what I love about addiction. And I love the story of, like, for example, Robert Downey Jr., right? What human being goes from smoking crack to Iron Man? Right. right. That's the best. Yeah. Like, if you take the addiction energy and you make empowering choices, we're superheroes. Yep. I love it. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727 314 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, visit their website at narcononojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. Or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, 
has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. It's true. It's really true. If you put all of the energy and effort and intention and, you know, I I say goal setting because, I mean, okay, when you're an addict, your goal is to get high. But if you take all of that effort and intention and put it into something good, you're a rock star. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. I'm I'm fueled every day of how much service I can give. I never, look, this stuff goes down. I'm like, good, more people to help. They're like, why? Right. I'm like, there's more people to serve. They're like, what are you talking about? I said, this is, I love this because the, the paradigm shift, my perspective years ago was, oh no, look at me. I can't get what I want. September 11th. Now I'm like, oh my God, how incredible. I've got to write more blogs. I've got to finish up two more books. I've got to go and do more videos. I've got to call more people. My, my inbox is full of people that I'm literally have a chain of like a hundred people that I send messages to every day just because I know they're struggling yep. from all over the world in Australia, friends of mine. And because that now it, it's like the more that goes wrong, the more I can do right. Yep. Yep. You, you know, know, helping people is, um, well, let's just say it's like a drug. It's the best. And you the can be- become addicted to helping people so and you good. need to do it more and more and more. And there's a lot of good in that. You know what I always say to people, if, and um, it's going to be, I'm starting an incredible series with Dave Meltzer and it's called Getting a Daily Dose. Okay. So I try to give people a dose. And when I say that, dose is dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. How can I boost one of those brain chemicals in a positive way, an empowering way? Do you know what I mean? I love and that. that's, I love and that. I, I try to give people a positive dose. So what we. What we don't understand is we can get oxytocin from this. This is community. Correct. I, I can also, if I'm a motivating person, an inspiring person, give you a dopamine, spike a dopamine and a reward because you think, oh, my God, if I speak to Mike again and you place that reward, right? We, I did it with cocaine. Now I can do it with positive information. Right. Serotonin, I can build my own status and build someone else's status through serotonin in a positive way. If I lift people, they can lift me, Right. Yep. And then endorphins, if I get some exercise and meditate and do the right thing and then teach people that, that's your endorphin rush, okay? Yep. So yep. I'm constantly looking at how I can give people a dose. If I text them or if I call them, right, and I send out something positive because I've set that little, that really positive thing, guess what? They see my number or they see something, they've already got a spike. That's right. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. that's what we don't realize, how we can affect people in such a magical way if we get out of our own, you know, fight, flight, and freeze and, and just do good things. This is now more than ever, you've got to do good things. It's true. It's totally true. You know? Mike, can I take you back a little bit? Can you talk a little bit about yeah. um, what you did on television? The, the ink per, The ink shows? I'm just curious about those and how you got into that and... Yeah, what that I've, was like. I fell into that because Army at the time that was on Miami Inc. We were friends, and I got him onto that series. 
And then when we, they were shooting New York Inc., I was making a transition out of the bar and restaurant business. And Army said, look, you're really motivating. You know, could you just come and run the shop for us and help us out? Because a lot of the tattoo artists, you know, need a little like life coaching and other coaching. And then, then we took the franchise to Australia. And the thing was we, we were going in and we were going to take, you know, shops that weren't being successful and flipping them. And then what happened was um, after doing that for many years, I just felt there was, what's the word? It's not like I didn't like to be around tattoo artists. I just felt more of a calling to go into more trying to empower people in different industries. And okay. that's after that, I jumped into working into a, um, a detention center. I was living in LA and I was driving four hours, uh, four, three and a half hours a day commuting there and back to in a lockdown. And I was sleeping in a lockdown with a bunch of juveniles trying to empower them to make better choices. Wow. Yeah. It was really, it was a beautiful experience to, I can imagine. Yeah. It was really special to me because I could connect with them being a young troubled kid that had a lot of anger and I never had to restrain one of them physically. I could talk them, walk them and talk them. I used to walk and talk, walk and talk, calisthenics, walk and talk, meditation, <laughs> walk and talk and just get them out of, you know, that, that, that fight, flight and freeze. And yeah, so it was, but the tattoo world was very good to me. They were good people and I've got a great audience there and they're, there's some really beautiful artists and people that I, that I worked with that really were really nice to me. It's a really good, it was a good time. Okay. So how did you end up in uh, helping out in the detention center? How did that come about? It's a really great story. So I, I left Las Vegas. I was working in um, all the big casinos. And when I shot the TV show in Australia, my wife said to me, Hey, look, cause we have a house in Vegas and I have a house. We have a house in LA. She said, well, could you not go back to any kind of casino work? Can you do something, do something different? I said, yeah, no problem. So I called a friend of mine. I said, look, it's just a random call. I, I, I'm all about the law of attraction. If I sit in a meditation and I slow everything down, I ask the universe and the universe tells me. And I just listen. I listen to my source. And he said, call this guy, Matt, Matt Cox, a friend. I'm like, all right, I haven't called him in a year. I said, look, I, I got a feeling I have to call you intuitively. I'm like, what are you working on right now? And he's like, actually, we have a detention center and we need a guy like you that can come in and motivate the kids. I'm like, all right, how far is it? And he said, it's like three hours from your house. I'm like, whatever, <laughs> I'll just drive and um, I'll drive. I said, I'll just do it. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'll just do it. Whatever, I'll just do it. So I got in the car and threw my dog in. I, I have a bull terrier and I'm like, can I bring the bull terrier out? And he's like, can you get him licensed as a service dog? I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> got him licensed as a service dog, man. was living in a dorm with a bunch of crazy kids. <laughs> Just wow. teaching them life and purpose. It was great. Wow. It was so much fun. That's awesome. S such a challenge. It was so good. Get him up at five in the morning. The greatest thing was, it was beautiful because I'm a physically fit guy and these kids, you know, want to be impressed. So the first day I ran them and made them do calisthenics. And they were so broken the next day when I got them up, I was doing cold showers with them. It was so good. And uh, 
they used to call me Mr. Mike. They're like, Mr. Mike, we can't escape. And I'm like, what, what do you mean by that? They're like, we can't walk because <laughs> I would break them physically that <laughs> they wouldn't want to run away at night. They were in bed. They, were, they wouldn't even take their, their sleeping meds. They were so exhausted. They were just out. That's so great. <laughs> I love good. that. It's a lot of fun. So where'd you go from there? Where'd you go from the detention center? So with, at the detention center, um, again, law of attraction, so crazy. They were kind of, they, they're, they're nice guys. I don't want to talk bad about them. They just, we, we had different values and rules. So I was actually, uh, <laughs> there's a really important lesson that I think everyone should understand. If you're stuck and you feel a disempowering emotion, that's actually when the universe is trying to talk to you. That's when you need to stop, slow down and breathe. And I use a method called the stop method, which is stop, take a breath, breathe diaphragmatically, get out of your fight, flight and freeze, get back into your prefrontal cortex where you make your executive decisions and observe. S-T-O. What am I, am I either afraid I'm not going to get what I want, I'm going to lose what I have, I have guilt and shame for something I've done about the, in the past or I'm worried about the future, but I'm not in the moment. Right. Okay. Then create that gap and then proceed. Interesting. Okay. And then if you, and then, so, so I'm going to my trash and instead of ruminating and being frustrated, I'm calm. I see my neighbor. He sees me and cause I'm open. I don't blow him off. He's like, what are you doing? I said, actually, just left that job I was working at. And I said, so, but I, what I really want to do is be of service and go speak in, in high schools. So, you know, I've got my book. I had a book. My book was doing good. And he's like, you're not going to believe this. My friend takes all the canines to the schools and he, hey, he's looking for a speaker right now to do a program. I swear wow. to God. Wow. So I said, can I have his number? So he gives me the number. I call the guy. I meet with him. He's a really sweet guy. And he said, look, can you write an anti-vaping drug awareness program? I said, I'll be honest with you. I don't know about drugs. I don't know about vaping. I'll have to research it. I said, how long do we have? He said, we've got to get it done in two days. I said, yeah, I'll get it done. So I wrote up the program with him in two days. And he said, we have got one shot. We have to basically go to Glendale Unified, which is a very big school district. And they're going to give us an hour to present. And if we, if it gets picked up, you know, we'll be set. We'll get about 120 speaking gigs. <laughs> if it doesn't, we're dead in the water. I'm like, <laughs> don't worry. We're ready to go. <laughs> and bang, it, it worked. We hit and we, we booked uh, like 120 speaking gigs. Well, wow. when was this? Mike? This was last year. Wow. Because we've had a, we have a good friend who's been on the podcast a couple times. His name is Michael DeLeon and okay. he has an organization steered straight. And oh, it's great. It's great. Michael great. is all over vaping. I mean, yeah, that's he great. is all over vaping. So it's interesting. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a subject that needs a lot of attention. Yeah. Well, what's funny now is that we wrote another program called Impacted Youth which impacted? is, yeah, impacted, okay. how to impact, how to educate yep. the youth. And we we did the pilot program and we were ready to go and then the schools, the schools got shut down. Oh. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, eh, what are you going to do? So we're ready to go in September, but 
I'm just online now helping people and Zooming and coaching, but it's okay. It's what it is. Well, and there's a lot that can be done via video and a lot that can be done live. Like I I know of a couple private schools that my kids went to, my kids now in their 30s, but they're doing... They're doing education online. You know, you can just get a hold of the teachers and the teachers are doing seminars about history and, you know, grammar and everything else. So there's a lot that can be done online. Mike, when did you write your book? Uh, It's been out for a year. Okay. So the book, I'm Mm going to tell our readers, is Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset. Yeah. Do you want me to give you like some bullet points? I do. No problem. Go for it. So the first step I take you through is basically, you know, in this country, fear is a massive thing, but it's really stress, stress hormones. So uh, I take through the method I just told you, the stop method. Basically, you do a fear inventory to slow everything down and get you out of, you know, your sympathetic nervous system, which is fight, flight and freeze, and get you into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest. Especially a time like this, we've got a lot of fear. And if we're in fear, we're acting out. Right. So I, I look at it like this. There's think you're thinking, ruminating, feeling, then acting, or the environment can trigger your fear, right? So you could be driving down the highway, someone cuts you off, you get that shot of fear. Now, right. if it's feeling, acting, then thinking, that means your emotions hijacked you. Yep. yep. So you're in trouble. So yep. that's why when you feel the disturbance, you have to slow it down and regulate. The second step, I go into... Uh, positive psychology, which is creating solutions to your problems. So not why did it happen? How can I grow? Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Step three is all about goal setting, how to break the macro goal into a micro process and always start with a purpose. You must have a why. Purpose is glue. If you don't have a purpose, you know, forget the plan. You've got to know why you're doing it. What's, what's purpose is the driver. You know what I mean? And it has to be more than money and it has to be more than prestige. Do you know what I mean? You have to have a calling. You have to figure that calling out, the mission. Yep. Yep. Uh, Then I go into the subconscious mind, how to control the inner critics. And I give some really good examples of how uh, neurons that fire together, wire together and mental repetition and focusing on the things you need. The fifth chapter is very simple. It's about, it's will and skill. So basically it, it flips talent on its head and talent is inclination. You can be talented in an area, but if you don't have the will to close the gap and do the work, you go nowhere in life. Right. It's just not about age. It's about work. You know what I mean? Yep. And then the sixth is about values and principles. And um, I like to say that, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. So back many years ago when I used to drink and do cocaine, I used my, I valued fun. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I remember being in a bar and uh, with Scott and there was a guy that was sober. I said to Scott, Oh my God, our friend is here. And he's like, I don't want to hang out with him. Scott, I go, why? And he's like, well, he's no fun because he's sober. And I said to someone, see back then I valued fun, but my rule to fun was, you know, making disempowering choices. Now fun to me is doing this, getting up at four in the morning, meditating. So it's great to have values, but what are the rules? What are the drivers? Do you know what I mean? And that's where you get disempowered. You may have a value, people say authentic, but what's the rule to being authentic? 
you know, there's a lot of yes. people that say they're authentic, but then you look at the cause and the drive, you're like, wow, that's what's authentic to you. So it's figuring out the, the drivers and doing things that are empowering to service others. Yeah. Um, and then the last chapter is broken into three. I take willpower, um, self-discipline and emotional intelligence. And I feel like an emotional intelligent person has to understand willpower and self-discipline. And if you're emotionally intelligent, you become socially intelligent. You know, that's wow. one thing we lack in this country, a lot of emotional intelligence. Yep. You know, you could have yep. a lot of IQ. Like I say to people, you know, Tiger Woods has an incredible IQ as a golfer, but emotional intelligence-wise, he made some pretty silly choices with his wife and things like that. Yep. So even Bill Clinton, you yep. know what I mean? That wasn't an emotional intelligent decision, even though right. he's very intelligent. Right. So it's, right. it's a, it's a simple read. It's only 150 pages. Um, I wrote it on purposely a very small book so people can get a, a really good tools, get motivated. A lot of my personal stuff, my own, you know, addiction stories. So you can read it and go, mm, I can use this. Right. If this guy can do it, I can do it. Right. My next book's coming out will be a little, you know, they'll be thicker and more science, but I wanted to keep this so people get a taste and they can get motivated. Got it. You know? And they can get it on Amazon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I'm going to just say the title again. It's called Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset, and it's by Michael Diamond. So we're winding up here, Michael, So or Mike. So what is, if you could give one message to the people listening, we believe that there are some addicts who possibly listen, some former addicts who listen, we know about that, and the loved ones of addicts. So if you could give them one message, what would it be? Wow. Um, you know, I would say this. And then it kind of rang true when you said about my parents, right? Um, everyone is doing the best they can with the information they have. They have. And if we can practice, I, I like to practice this one thing and it's life-changing. So if you're talking to me or I have a thought, it's information. Words coming out of your mouth is information. My thought to my feeling is information to my body, okay? So if I go, hmm, that's just information. Second thing, if I just become curious. So while that person's tone was, you know, a little interesting, all right, and I don't get offended. So if I don't take anything personal, the third thing, then life's pretty smooth for me. Because yep. just information, I become curious and I take nothing personal. So therefore the person that cut me off, guess what? That's not on me. I don't know where they're going. I don't know where they're coming from, right? So I don't take it personal and I don't get caught in the crosshairs in the middle. Wow. And everything like bends me. You know what I mean? And then yeah. just flow. You go with the flow. Yeah. It's not on me. And then I and then I have compassion. Yep. Because if that person is disturbed inside and they're struggling with something right now in a bad economy and things are bad, that's not on me. Right. That poor person is struggling. How can I help them? And if I can be loving and compassionate and just drop them a little, a little dose of positivity, little smile, little wink, maybe help an old person in the supermarket, maybe do something nice. Life, life, life flows pretty good. Yep. You know, it's yep. short. Like, 
kind of just let it go. <laughs> just let it go. Um, yeah, and I just don't want to be the angry, you know, dude anymore. And I haven't for years. It's just, it's toxic. That's awesome. I mean, it's awesome that you're not. And well done on 14 years sober next month, right? Yeah, thank you. What day? Uh, 16th, April 16th. Day before my birthday. I'll take oh. it. Well done, you. Well <laughs> done, you. you. You know, you, you're Steve. doing, I think you're doing all the right things. And I think that your story is, I know I say this a lot to my interviewees, but I, because I think it's true that every story, while there are similarities with addiction, there are differences, differences in the way um, the subject of addiction is approached and differences in the way you go forward from there. And I think that what you're doing now and your story is going to resonate with people, whereas other stories might not have. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time and doing this. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Mike Diamond. I think that um, his story is quite something. And um, yeah, I hope you liked it. Thank you for listening. Just a reminder to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and also rate us or give us a thumbs up and then also find us on YouTube. This particular podcast is videoed, so I will be putting up a video on YouTube and I hope that you all have weathered the whole coronavirus or are weathering it as we speak. This is being recorded in the midst of the um, kind of the beginning of the virus, but it'll be posted toward the end of April. So anyway, I hope that you're all doing well. Subscribe, keep listening. We want you to get help if you need it or get help for your loved ones. And we will talk again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. For more information on Narconon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcononojai.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.